Brought to you by the Rugby Outlet Mall, equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby. Find out more at RugbyOutletMall.com. I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, an eight-year plan to be on the team, and I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something and look stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. If it's up, it's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he says, you guys are awesome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift, Gift Tommy Bailu, and this is a podcast where we speak with amazing people about the opportunities that they have found and experienced through rugby. We have an amazing guest uh, today. Like, I mean, we always have amazing guests, but we have another particularly amazing guest. She is the commissioner for the Ivy League Rugby Conference. She is a PhD in uh, pharmacology, and she is a World Rugby Certified Ref. That is internationally based. We got the great Emilio... Emilio... Amelia Lucianu uh, onto the podcast, and uh, yo, this was a really, really interesting podcast. A great look into refing. Uh, we get a chance to talk about her journey. Get a chance to talk about uh, the the insight that refs need to have and how she sees the game and that, how it impacts the way that she has been able to do it from the local level to the international level and as she continues to move forward in all her career moves. And whew, and it, it's, it's, this will be a good lighthearted one. Well, this will be a good one because uh, today is going to be a very, very heavy day as it is election day. And as you know, it's going to be tough from whatever happens here in the U.S. and whatever happens with this election. Um, who knows? But I hope that you guys, if you're able to, took the time to be able to vote. Uh, even if you don't believe in it, I think it's really important that you do. At minimum, don't vote in the presidential, even though I really think you should. But I, hopefully you voted in your congressional or any of your local elections and anything like that so that you are able to still be part of the process, but more importantly, that you actually advocate some of the control that is given or has been tried to be taken from you. So uh, you guys know where I stood with it. I think I did it in the episode right before the during the George Floyd situation, not even before, during it. But, um, you know, it is it is something that I think is important regardless of whatever your position is. So I hope you guys are able to go, and uh, hopefully you don't have to wait in lines too excessively long. Uh, because, man, this early voting, I was happy that I did it because I did not have to wait very long. Anyways, on top of that, uh, today is the second day of the World Series 10s. 
Uh, great series that they had on Monday, and uh, I mean, Tuesday is going to be legit. Nice to see the second round going through, and this one, this this event is definitely probably the realest. Uh, it looks like they're really taking it to the next level, professionalizing it, and I can't lie. Uh, from what I've been told, uh, you know, shout-outs to, to my guys out there that are playing and uh, being able to participate and be on the ground there. Uh, this, this, the future for this is looking like it could be very bright and, uh, it's something that I hope to be able to see continue to thrive and grow because it adds another avenue for players to be able to find opportunity and, um, to be able to kind of show the, the market what rugby can really offer overall. So, uh, I, you know, I had a chance, uh, shout out to my guy, Ryan Ginty with next level rugby to speak with uh, Butcher Fawcett, Dylan Fawcett, um, and uh, uh, Brad Tucker uh, of Seattle Seawolves and uh, Butcher uh, of Rooney, I think right now. I also got to talk with my guys, uh, Connor Wallace-Sims and and Matt Houston. Uh, So if you guys get a chance, check out Next Level Rugby's next level rugby live <laughs> uh i don't know how often we're doing it but um at least during this 10 we're definitely getting stuff in so happy to uh been able to help in the little bits that i can and just the questions and stuff like that uh of course ryan ginty's fam so you know whatever is needed we always try and get done um and you know as as always look man it's november it's coming up on the christmas time and uh, when I say, guys, get ready, all right, sign in to the Rugby Outlet Mall mailing list. If you guys can, you guys can go check it out at RugbyOutletMall.com. Um, and obviously, this is one the spot, one of the main sponsors where you guys can use Grow Rugby, G-R-E-A-U-X, Rugby for 20% off all uh, gift time rugby and HBCU rugby classic gear. We got some stuff coming out. Yo, it's about to come out this week, and it's about to be legit. And I'm telling you, yo, you guys want to get on this, all right? This is where we're looking forward to 2020. But, man, we're looking forward to setting you guys up soon. So check it out. Definitely seen, been seeing people start to add them, sell, uh, follow the uh, Rugby Outlet Mall IG page. Congre- thank you. Big thanks on that. Definitely keep holding on there. Um also, guys, we have the uh, Grow Rugby podcast uh, IG page. Please follow it um, if you can. Uh, obviously, we put in our first uh, trailers out there, and soon we're going to be giving the lead-ups to when our, our um, get who our guests coming up each week. So I want to keep letting you guys be part of the process. Definitely get set so you guys can ask some questions uh, for leading up for what we have coming through and uh, who we got scheduled in. So, hey, I want you guys to be know that you guys are as important to this. And another big winner that we got out of this week, we finally crossed over 1,100 listeners. Thank you guys big time for it. I mean, I know... It, it, these have been long, but we have had great guests, and we know we've dropped gems, and in I, I 1,000%. In fact, I 1,100% thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this and just just be a participant. I, I appreciate it in the realest, realest way. Um, and, you know, 
continue to try and do it, and we're going to continue to get great guests and really give it insight because, you know what, we still got the Olympics and the Women's Rugby World Cup, and we are going to try and set up to make sure that you guys have the info for that um, and get to know these players even more closely so that you can appreciate them whenever they hit the field. Um, and lastly, our last sponsor is uh, – Singapore to Tokyo any way we can. You guys can please check out the documentary, and I'm telling you, it is worth it. I tell you each time, it's worth it. Watch this, man, and it's getting real. Uh, you know, we're slowly almost getting it onto Amazon Prime. It's almost working with us. Keep an eye out for it. But in the meantime, definitely check it out. RedEarthFilms.VHX.TV. You guys can go grab your own copy. It's only $17, and it will give you seven episodes, 20 minutes apiece. And I'm telling you, you'll never want to stop the, uh, the video at any point. You will be intrigued. This was our journey learning through Southeast Asia, biking through Southeast Asia to the 2019 Rugby World Cup and getting to know the rugby NGOs along the way. This this is a human piece. I mean, it is it is so intense. So intense. But it is so beautiful. I definitely recommend it. And not just because I'm in it, but definitely because it is so worth the watch. But guys, I'm not going to hold you off any longer. Just quick reminder, don't forget to please leave a, a review on the Apple podcast. Um, if you guys are using it on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a rating and a review. It helps us in a big way, and it's, it's always appreciated one way or another. So you guys, check it out. Uh, Amelia Luciano, World Rugby Ref, Ivy League Commissioner, and just an overall dope person. Check it out. Welcome everybody to another great episode of Grow Rugby. I got the great ref, Dr. Amelia Lucianu. <laughs> Here with us today, uh, World Rugby ref, uh, well-known within WPL, USA Rugby, uh, uh, pharma, uh, oof, your, your list goes on, the uh, uh, <laughs> molecular medicine in uh, pharmacology, like, you got a history on you, and I want to say thank you for coming on to the show today. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the introduction. That was uh, quite a bit there. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, whenever you have put that work in, it is deserved to get everything <laughs> as close as possible. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, the The first time I heard about your name was actually uh, just randomly in WPL stuff because uh, I was still signed up with uh, referees uh, with Mid-South, but you still get updates on uh, stuff with referee signings and such like that. And then I think actually even just recently is then I saw your name pop up again. And you know when it's that situation where like a name constantly keeps popping up in random times? Just like, all right, maybe there's something there. And you can go <laughs> with that. Uh, it, it came in even more. And then, of course, then I heard about your story, heard about your, your story, your resume, and it just adds another level onto it. And so it was like, okay, we, we need, when you talk about opportunity, this is, this is you. Um, kind of, I just want to ask this first question. So, you know, do you, 
enjoy being the elite of the elite in achievement, or is it just like you know, it just it's just easy work from there. <laughs> So I think there's two things with that that um, I would like to say. So first, um, I don't like to compete against other people. I like to compete against myself. And so if I can be better today than I was yesterday, then I'm happy. If I'm not as good today as I was yesterday, then we've got some more work to do and maybe I need to get a better night's sleep or something. Um, But I think I've been that way my whole life. So just put in a little bit of work every day and kind of climb your way up the ladder as you get there. And currently now I'm still in a training position at work and I'm still not near the top of the ladder in terms of my career. So there's always more to be done. There's always more work to put in. And it's the same thing with my refereeing. Kind of when you start out refereeing, you're like, what's this thing? Oh yeah, that's the whistle. Yeah, I'm supposed to blow that to stop the game (laughs) or even to start the game for your first time. Um, And you just kind of want to put the pieces together. So just figuring out what that first step is going to be. And then tomorrow I'm going to do the first step and the second step. And hopefully, you know, building your way every day of your life, I think. Yo, that's real. And uh, I I think that's a great way of being able to put it. It is a a set of puzzle pieces that you are getting to put together each and every day and just getting to see the picture more and more clearly each time, right? Yeah, and I think for me it's, each day is is a single tiny piece and i try not to look at the big picture because that can be really overwhelming so just one step at a time one piece at a time one scrum at a time if you're in a rugby game just look at it and in the small window oh i love it so i want to start at the beginning because again obviously you have a, a very unique uh resume for yourself but what how'd you get started in rugby itself um, cause it seems a lot of people I've, I've always known come in in college, but, uh, you were already coaching by the time you started your BA, your, your undergrad. So how'd you get started with rugby? So I actually got started in college like most people, but I had played football with boys in high school. So American football, I was an outside linebacker and a wide receiver. And from that, we actually were using kind of rugby technique to tackle from the beginning. So I had been tackling people generally at least one and a half times as strong as me and guys who by the time we became seniors were some of them man-sized. So when I got to college, I was walking around campus. I was like smelling the air and it smelled like fall to me, which if you're from the Northeast, you know, like as the leaves are changing, it's just that's football season. And so as I was walking around campus, I thought, what am I going to do? I don't get to tackle anyone now. And I've got all this classwork to do. I've got so much work to do. And I was like, I need I need that. I miss that high level of contact. So I saw some women passing a rugby ball around. And I looked at them. And I was like, I think I've seen that before. And I think those people probably tackle each other. <laughs> so... I asked them about it and they told me, yep, indeed, it's a full contact sport. And they invited me out to practice. And within a couple of weeks, I was already a starter and making my teammates <laughs> <you>. cry because <laughs> I was tackling them so hard. Um, so I already, I already had that contact background. And I think instead of going at it like face first with my face mask, which obviously doesn't exist in rugby and breaking my nose. I mean, uh, look, what's a face, you know, it's a little, just a little <laughs> special piece. 
spent. You don't need that for anything except for tackling. <laughs> so I went into it with with a high level of at, at least athletic skill in a contact environment um, and then just started playing, kind of fell in love with the game. And unfortunately, when I was a junior, my coach decided uh, the team was kind of uh, not a good fit for her. So she ended up leaving us and I was the captain at the time, got my USA Rugby certification, my L2. Um, that was in upstate New York. And then we, I was just the coach of the team for the next two years. Nice. You know, I I, I I love that because it reminds me of um, one situation what I was listening to with uh, uh, both Chetta Emba and Derek Lipskin. You know, I, I don't, you know, Chetta, I don't know if you know Derek. I know but Derek. You know Derek. So you, you understand. And I always talk about that, that early sensing of leadership that kind of kicks in. And you kind of see it quick. And I see particularly even with the Ivies and when you see Ivy plus rugby, it seems to be very resonant across the players. Um, kind of pointing back to when you talked about you were already playing football, even that, I, and I'm used to live in Pennsylvania, but you know, I, I, that's, we're not talking about things that are uh, prototypical. Uh, you're talking about being able to step above and beyond for you. What was the attraction initially uh, to contact? Was that something that has always been there since childhood? Or is it like, you know, it was like, yo, I saw it. And then all of a sudden it was revealed or how this, uh, how was this? Is this? Yeah. So I think part of, like I said earlier, that challenge of always wanting to be better than before. Um, I always wanted to be better than I was so that my older cousins who I grew up with and my older sister who I grew up with, um, there were four of them and me. So five of us kids total because they were older than me, I was always trying to be better than I was so that they would allow me to do the things that I wanted to do, um, which a lot of times are like, you're too little, you're too young. <laughs> so one of my cousins actually was playing football at the time and I told him he was stupid because <laughs> I'm a jerk, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> no, 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 you were alphing that situation, all right? <laughs> Take control of it. <laughs> but he uh, alphaed it back to me <laughs> And said, Coach says if you're if somebody calls us stupid, they should come to practice with us and see all the plays that we have to remember. Which once I went to practice, I realized football is actually a lot harder than just grunting and pushing people around. Right. Um, especially because he was a lineman, so he was like one of the biggest, strongest oh. guys on the team, which was yeah. nice because he was there. If anything happened, he would have protected me. He didn't have to, but right. um, I think it was nice to know that there was somebody there who had my back. Um. And then I just, I had been doing gymnastics for nine years at that point, and I was kind of too tall, not graceful enough, just I didn't have it for gymnastics. Yeah. So I wanted to do something equally as challenging, and I thought, well, if I play with the boys, that's going to be hard. So um, that's probably the most challenging school sport I could participate in, and that's why I started playing. And then, of course, whether I liked it or not, I didn't want to be seen as a quitter. So they said, oh, I bet you'll only last two weeks. And then I was like, no, I'm going to play for four years, even if I don't like it. <laughs> oh, you think you know me? Oh, you think you know me? I know this I'm feeling gonna, all too well. This <laughs> I'm going to out-stubborn you. <laughs> oh, that's so dope. Like, and, and for that, like, I, I have to assume, and um, what part of, where are you from? Where were you, are you from exactly? I'm from Watertown, Connecticut, which is like near central Connecticut. Um, grew up there. My family had a farm 
um, my cousins did, and I lived about a mile down the street from there. So. Okay, so the pieces are coming together. You old country girl (laughs) (laughs) who's got older siblings and says, yo, look, and in the Northeast too? Okay, you guys are the fool crazy. All right, so I like that. (laughs) But no, that's, that's awesome. So like when you go into it and you're playing this game, like I have to assume that you're, you're, you have, there's gotta be begrudging respect that's being had, but still has to have some flack from probably not your teammates, but outside a little bit, right? Yeah, I think the number of your mama jokes that turned into your teammate jokes when they noticed that I was a girl uh, was interesting. <laughs> but I think the place that I got the most, um, I guess, negative feedback from was from originally the coaches who mm. were just trying to get me to quit. So they would yeah. ask the guys to be meaner to me than they were to each other or play harder against me to try and discourage me. And when they found out that that wasn't going to happen, then it was some of the parents who felt weird about their son playing football with a girl. And as they got to know me, they realized I wasn't there to prove a point about anything other than myself and that I'm not a quitter and that I wanted a challenge and that I actually enjoyed football. No, I and I think that's always the one that we always have to take because it does kind of put you into the spotlight where it is, yo, do you have to make a stand for all women or are you making a stand for yourself? And so you're in this kind of conundrum of, all right, I'm trying to just do something to be bigger, to just, like you said, better yourself and take on new challenges and you genuinely enjoy it. But whenever people sneak these undercurring uh, um I guess maybe not sneak, but place this weight on you of having to hold it for the entire group. And it's like, that's a benefit. Cool. But that's not the intent. You, you, it has to be so much in terms of trying to show them correctly. What, what's up, I guess. Yeah. And I think a lot of people face that challenge. If you are the first of whatever category you happen to fall in and you're unique in or a minority even, um, you're representing your group, whether that's your intention or not. So you just want to make sure that the way that you represent yourself is the way that you would want your group to be represented. And I think just as a person, obviously, most people want the way that they're perceived to be uh, whatever characteristics they value. So for me, that was determination and strength and hard work and the things that And I am proud of being a woman. So that was part of the whole situation of playing on an all boys team otherwise. And then realizing why I was able to do that because Title IX exists, because there was legislation that allowed me to do that. And because of the women who came before me to allow me to have that opportunity. And then once I could find an environment where I could flourish with other women playing women's rugby was absolutely incredible i was like oh this is what i've been looking for for four years (laughs) no that that and that makes perfect sense um i was talking with this with uh farah farah douglas and we were talking about identity impacting the way that you play on the field and so it it looks like you have that, that it was that same thing it's once you you are find not just finding yourself but getting to understand yourself even more and the more that you have an environment that's able to nurture that, 
you get to see even the increase in your play go just because of the fact that now there's a better knowledge of you and there's a better knowledge of where you fit within this realm as opposed to kind of fighting against what's supposed to be coming on, correct? Yeah, exactly. I've never thought about that as a player, but I have thought about it lately with my refereeing in that the more comfortable you seem to be with yourself, the better response you get from the people who you're trying to interact with. So from a refereeing perspective, when I started to become very comfortable with who I was kind of toward the end of my PhD when I wasn't struggling through grad school anymore, um, it became very apparent that I could interact with the players in a, a deeper way to get rapport with them that I wasn't able to achieve earlier in my career. And that's because I felt comfortable and because I was okay with who I was and how I interacted with them. It seemed like they could trust me more because they were getting a more authentic version of me and not a robot referee. Right. Cause uh, that can, uh, we, we always know like, People always try and make the claim, you know, whenever you're dealing with a ref, and I know you get this, you know, directly, is refs don't know. Like, even if you were the player, it's like you don't know. That's part of the argument. Like, you, you're you not seeing this. You're not having that. But it comes back to that communication. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting in that as we get more, I guess, developed in this, this new era of um rugby and it's becoming a lot more open and becomes a lot more broadcast worldwide and even importantly here in the states i think that level of honesty has to be there so that it one prevents a lot more fight back from the players to some extent and at the same time it does let it be known that you have credibility in your decisions and it's not just coming from a whim or from pettiness or anything like that right so i think that honesty and having the integrity to admit when you've made a mistake. Cause sometimes you're not going to see everything. There's 30 players right. on the field at once. If you're doing 15s or 14, if you're doing sevens, and that's a lot to be watching at one time, the players know you're not going to see everything. That's why they cheat when you turn your head. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I've heard, you know, I've <laughs> Friends but that's because they're smart and they're doing what what they need to do to be successful and whether that i mean as long as it's safe sometimes unfair things are going to happen and i'm not going to see all of that and i think being honest with the players and having them say hey what about that offside or what about that knock on or something if i'm unsighted and i didn't observe it i can't call a penalty for it so just saying hey i didn't see it sometimes allows the players a little bit of like, oh, okay, well, it's okay that you missed it this time, but don't miss it again. Right. Um, and I think it gives them, it allows you to hear them and them to feel like they've been heard, which is really important because if they don't feel heard, that's when a game becomes out of control. Right. No, I, and I, I think that's, no, no, that's, that's real. Um, I, and I wonder, do you get that from, as your time has gone from being, you know, you were player coach over in Cornell and then moving up to Yale, do you feel like those little bits that you started realizing as a ref, uh, were you starting to notice or being able to develop those as a coach as you moved to Yale and playing playing Dale, the, you know, it, the the pieces, I guess? Yeah, so that part of the story is that I went to undergrad at Cornell, coached there for a little while, and then when I got to Yale, I decided to be assistant coach just for my first year because I could play and be assistant coach at the same time there since I still had a year of eligibility. 
Um, so I was playing for a little while. And then um, once I had gotten into grad school and lost, didn't have any more collegiate eligibility, I figured I need to find a, a niche there. So I started to continue to coach. And that was when I got into refereeing. Um, but I think the population of students at Cornell and Yale, though they're both Ivy League schools, are pretty different. Right. And so knowing who I was and how I would fit into a rugby team when I came to Yale was actually really fruitful and really helpful to figure out how I could help the team. Generally, as a human, I like small pictures and like the, like I said, one puzzle piece at a time. So I am like very good at seeing um, in the in a, a single situation what body position you should be in or how you could have done, you know, won this small battle on the field better as opposed to the large picture, which is what I struggle with more, even as a referee, is just seeing how the whole 80 minutes comes together as a story. So when I got to Yale and being an assistant coach, I could pull players aside and give them small uh, tips on technique. And that was awesome for me to fit in there, especially because the coach they had at the time was a much more bigger picture um, type of coach. So uh, so I, I love the fact that you have this this look at the, the, the details, because I think one of the things that come with trying to help people understand rugby is the factor that you get lost in the in the chaos it can be until everything slows down and especially from that first and i always i always tell people like first six years of you playing <laughs> or interacting with the sport this is where you need to get the most this is where your information comes because you don't understand it until like you know year five or six seven years and you're just like oh now this all like you know the basics you're like all right you go forward all right we're gonna pass that way and you hit that but then those little chess piece nuances start to kick in and that's where you come in where it's like this is how you're able to pinpoint it so then that bigger picture comes i i asked i want to know obviously this is something that you said has always been part of your life but does this also play into kind of what you do with your work with your researching was that kind of the specificness of why you went into something like biology and and molecular biology and cancer research th that stuff is it was it seeing that nitty-gritty yeah so what i do now is cancer research at the molecular and cellular level so it's pretty um small level stuff and the interactions I'm looking at are just between specific molecules and trying to see how that helps cancer cancer cells grow so that we can reverse that and hopefully makes it cancer cells not grow or die. Um, so I think looking at that small picture and figuring out how one thing interacts with the next thing interacts with the next thing is what's um, really interesting to me as a scientist and, and in my career. Um, and then eventually, once you get all those little pieces together, putting that into the big context of, well, when is this important? How is it important? Um, so for instance, in cancer research, the thing I study is important in many different types of cancer. It's mTOR signaling biology. Um, but is that cancer pathway important just in kidney cancer and liver cancer, or is it every type of cancer? And when you look at those particular things, um, then you can start to see, well, how is me studying this going to impact the bigger picture of when a human I know gets cancer? Is right. this something that's going to be 
a potential treatment or something that we can look at in their situation. And that's when it gets like really interesting because you can look even more detailed. Um, the way that cancer therapy is going, I know this is not really related to rugby at oh, all. But it all works together. Oh, you <laughs> got this. All right. The building blocks, Amelia, the building blocks. <laughs> the, the current therapies, um, the way that the treatments are going generally is that if we can find out what your particular tumor has, we can then figure out what mutations it has and what it's using for its survival pathways. Then we can attack those particular mutations in your cancer and not just in cancer in general, where there's off target effects and the drugs may make you feel sick. So part of what I'm studying is something that's important for so many types of cancer, but in particular, we may find there's, you know, a subtype or a subpopulation of people who have any type of cancer who this, pathway may be important for oh and that that uh, that's significant because i know one of the which is kind of where this era of the alternative medicine has now become even more popularized is trying to fight off against these uh repercussions that come with chemo and comes with surgery uh because it does have a tendency to have these offset I guess I'm say, repeating the same thing again, but yes, these uh, uh, outside repercussions, whether it's weakness, whether you end up burning out more of your cells, even the recovery, and especially for older uh, older ones, as opposed to being able to target and actually prevent, like you said, the areas that are specifically creating that cancer and, you know, whether it's evolved genetically or it's coming from an external source. So you you have these, and this is where we're going to bring it all back together, all right? It all comes back to rugby. No. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's with that kind of interest, I, I do wonder for you, and as you see the world, which you've already said within this, this puzzle, but whenever you're looking at these elements, do you start to see um, habits and uh, consistencies that occur within this cultural rugby sphere that you see can impact maybe more efficiently on field and how that maybe even affects it even off field as well. Does that make sense? Um, I can reword it if it is, because I, I know I can say a lot without saying not anything. At all. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could reword it a little bit. I got you. Let me, let me redo this. Let me reset this. Essentially, in being able to see these specifics, looking for these individual you know, aspects uh, that that can impact a whole, right? As for you, as you're seeing the world, whether it's as a ref, whether you're seeing it as a, uh, a coach, uh, and even particularly as a player, but mainly the first two, do you start to notice aspects, whether it is of the way that a person plays or the way that they go about uh, on the game or even off field that you can say, all right, this seems to be a consistency that nobody seems to pay attention to or they're underestimating that impacts maybe how well the flow of the game can go, which impacts the way that the players going about the game, which impacts the way that they even affect off the field, because we know all these can connect together. And so for you, do you start to see that breakdown where even for you, maybe even yourself, you were like, okay, I'm seeing how I am off the field. It impacts me how I go on the field, and it changes the way that I'm going about my flow of the game. Uh, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Yep, no, I get okay. what you're saying. So, so I told you, I can come back on this. I <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think 
the easiest place to see that in my different roles um, as referee or coach or whatever, um, I think as a coach, that's easiest to see because you can observe the players in a couple of di different situations. You can see them when they're just hanging out with their teammates. You can see them when they're at practice and you can see them pre and during a game. And so there it's very easy, I think, I find to focus on a particular player and see how that player is fitting into the team and how they interact with the whole team unit, how they affect the entire team unit, and maybe vice versa, how the team and the different situations that they may go through affect that particular player. So like an example of that would be a player that needs to have like their huge headphones on before the game and needs to be like in the zone. And if you see someone interrupt their warm up and then see how they perform after that or see how they interact with their teammates after that, it may be completely different than if they actually got their full time in the zone listening to the music that they like to listen to pregame. Right. And I think for myself, I see that same thing for sure. Um, if I go into a weekend where I'm refereeing a game and I'm feeling stressed about something outside of work, it has become a challenge to me to make sure that I don't take any of that onto the field and I don't let it affect the decisions I make on the field. So I don't want to be any more strict or um, impatient or lazy, whatever, yeah. <laughs> when I'm when I'm refereeing this week versus next week, no matter what happens in the seven days in between. So there is a large challenge, a mental challenge in refereeing to make sure that you are giving the players the best game that you can give them every time you're, you go out there and no matter what the situation is outside in the world and whatever happens in real life. No, I, that, that, I love that. And, you know, it, it, it does, I, it, it's, it's this huge connection that I, I love to always see. And, and I mean, I guess you can say it in other games, but I feel like it's very poignant within this sport. So you had an interesting situation of being able to go to South Africa uh, and doing the high performance. What was the lead up going to that for you? Uh, so last year I went to the women's high performance camp with World Rugby um, in May. And the lead up for me was first of all, finding out that this camp was going to exist because this was the first ever women's development camp. It was right. a pretty exciting event. Um, and then finding out that I was allowed to apply for it. And, and um, once I found out that I was going, um, it was then kind of a, a race to see what kind of other games I could have before getting there to kind of give the evaluators at World Rugby something to show or something to evaluate, I guess. You want to get some game on the tape. You want yeah, game. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you want your highlight reel, right? Right. <laughs> so it's the same thing for a referee, really. And so I had refereed the WPL final in, um, I guess, either October, November 2018, so the end of the 2018 season, which was a really fun, exciting game where I definitely made some mistakes. But you <laughs> the yourself watching the game a little bit more than just actually refing the games. <laughs> and I know I've done that before where I was just like, oh, man, this is so good. Oh, right, I'm supposed to be doing stuff. <laughs> I didn't get caught caught there in that game, but um, watching it afterward, there were a couple of situations where I'm like, what was I thinking? Right. But, you know, that happens, I think, with players, too. And it's unfortunate that 
you know, it was a final and I couldn't have been perfect, but that's what happened. Um, it's part of the growth process. Right. So World Rugby was pretty happy with that performance and allowed me to go to this camp. And so one of my games in the lead up was doing the USA against Barbarians game, which was the first time that the Barbarians had played the United States. Um, and that was at Glendale in the stadium, which was just a, an amazing experience. Like I was super nervous. I flew out the day before, so I had my 16 hours of calibration to the high altitude. So let me ask you this. All right, before you continue, and I, I always ask people this, because I, when I went to Colorado and I went to Glendale for the first time a few years back, people always say about how much it was difficult to breathe there. For me, I felt like my energy went way high, and I got really uncomfortable with how high my energy is. Now, it could be because there's such a displacement from this low Louisiana uh, <laughs> elevation, but I got there and I was like, why do I feel like I just took 32 bags of sugar right in the arm? I was just like, let's go! And we're just filming games. We're just like, I need to go everything. Did you have that feeling? <laughs> I might have had that feeling this time just because I was so excited to be there. Um, but I definitely, I got out that morning to run around because I was like, there's no way. If I go from the warm-up half an hour before the match or an hour before the match straight into that match, I am going to be gassed because right. the just the change in elevation from being at the coast to um, going to Denver is is tough. Um, so I drank a lot of water, got a run out in the morning. I was super out of breath and was a little bit nervous. But then as soon as my lungs calmed down from the initial warm up, I felt pretty good and stretched out a little bit. And then I was fine in the afternoon. You know, what? I, I, the other thing that I always love is, especially when it comes to stadium games, is the feeling of you can it's almost like you can feel that energy in the air. And it's it's not like it's there's big games and there's just like and especially at night. I think there's there's always that for you. And you've now had this on multiple occasions. We'll, we'll talk about it more. But when you have that, has it gotten to a point where you are kind of just used to that, 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 that increased energy that's going into air as you're entering into a big game? Or do you still feel like you have to remind yourself to settle uh, as you're going into these situations? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So. I think the bigger the game, the more likely it is that you're going to have those like nerves and the kind of jitters before. Um, and I think it depends on the situation too. So if you can feel the stadium, like you were saying, and everyone is really into it, like the anthems are playing, that type of feeling to me is almost overwhelming. And so I have to do something to ground myself in that moment. And there are particular things I think about when I'm standing there listening to the anthems and trying to get myself in a, a calm kind of, uh, I don't know. State, a meditative state. Yeah, almost meditative. Yeah, just, just being uh, calm and clear-headed to start the match because I want to give the game the best game to the players that they can have. Of course, of course. You know, so when you were at that high performance camp, like what was it that stood out to you? Obviously, you know, there's a certain amount where it comes to refereeing that is your foundation, which you were already getting WPL. You've been doing it for years. But when you went to that high performance camp, like what was it that you felt was so different? And especially the fact that it was focused specifically for women. So the most 
impressive thing to me was how the women from different countries and different cultures and backgrounds, we were all there as high performance referees. We're all capable, we're all qualified, fit, and young for the most part, um, and have done some high level matches. Um, but everyone's off field personality is so different and especially based on culture, like some of the um, female referees were kind of, it seemed like um, they wouldn't speak unless spoken to. So right. they didn't, they weren't um, confident well, enough or it, it just wasn't in their um, cultural uh, characteristic. Yeah, exactly. Um, to raise their hand and ask a question if they were confused. But if a question was asked to them, then the conversation would, would continue normally. And I had heard that people feel that way sometimes, but the way that I was raised in my personality doesn't fit that box. So I think that made me stand out in the group was that I am a traditional American um, in that <laughs> aspect. Gosh, she's so loud and aggressive. <laughs> These Americans. <laughs> <laughs> but I come across as much more aggressive yeah. than most of the other cultures in general, just because of my personality and, right. and the way that I am. But um, that was one thing that was impressive. And then we also did a lot of um, like quizzes on film review. And so we'd see a clip of something and say, is this, for instance, if it's foul play, should this be a yellow card, a red card, a penalty, or nothing? Right. Um, and some of that was interesting because my calibration uh, coming from rugby in the U.S. was slightly different than some of uh, what they would do around the world and what the world rugby trainers were suggesting. So it's been um, interesting to try and fit myself into a, a box that correlates with what USA, oh, sorry, what, what, what world, world, rugby is. world rugby is expecting as opposed to what USA rugby is expecting. That's interesting because you would, you know, obviously we always assume that there is a consistency across the board. Maybe, maybe if there is a, a difference, you'd think it'd be very slight, but maybe not too much or just, but I, I guess it also makes sense to a cultural element, uh, especially world rugby, typically working off of Europe, and over versus us kind of being a little bit more introvert and then kind of working out so you know you have your own set of rhythm and rules that are going to go with the usa rugby way of refing to some extent which is nice that there's a style intentionally or not <laughs> yeah so i think part of that is to is to how much experience the players have so in the u.s now when we referee we may be refereeing young players who have years of experience but generally most people are starting in college still so if you're refereeing a college game part of that refereeing sometimes becomes a coaching or an explaining the rules and sometimes you're a little bit more lax especially in lower level college if if there's repeated infringements it may be that the players are not understanding what's going on like you said it may take five to six years for somebody to get it and so generally if i were refereeing a higher level match where the players know what's going on if they're having repeated infringements it's probably because they're either not paying attention or because they're doing it on purpose right whereas in a lower level college game when i'm refereeing those guys it's definitely not on purpose they're just that's unaware just, right that's naivete and ignorance at that point so i think the smarter the players are the more that you can anticipate what's going to happen and then the more you can anticipate the way that you're going to interact with them and just referee the game like it's Supposed to. and like it's meant to be yeah 
So I guess, let me think, like, does that mean that to some extent, working at that world rugby level, knowing that you have so much of a high level of play, that it can make you maybe, um, I don't want to use the word lax, but make you less reactive to those uh, improprieties that occur at the USA rugby level for college and even high school, or shoot, even club level. Uh, do you feel like it makes you a little bit lax or maybe even a little bit impatient trying to handle that after dealing with this upper level variation of uh, roughing? Yeah, so with rugby in the U.S., you know, like one week I'll be doing high school, whatever, rookies, and then the next week I may be doing men's D1. Right. So between that, the level's changing. Sometimes it, it is difficult one, to make sure I'm giving the players the best game. If I blow penalties against the high school players like I would against the Division One players, it's not going to be a good game. And right. so mentally, you have to kind of switch the gears and try and determine, again, like you said, with the players thinking that referees don't have any empathy, if I were a 16-year-old trying to learn the game and wanting to get to run with the ball and actually play – what would I want to be called? And obviously you have to call things that are um, not safe, anything that's dangerous, anything that is like really egregious. But then on top of that, maybe only the biggest penalties are what I'm going to call in that game. And I might have a small conversation with the player and say, hey, you know, you're offside there, but you didn't make the tackle. And so it's okay, but try not to do that again. Right. And then um, hopefully – the players will get it, and if you have them again later in the season, you'll see that improvement. And then whatever kind of frustration that might exist in that first game hopefully will play itself out. And that's the super rewarding thing about being a referee in a local area is seeing players from when they're in high school through college, through, like, men's club. Right. And it, now I've been refereeing for nine years, so there are a number of players from different high schools who I've seen go through yeah. the entire system and it's it's super cool to just see them afterward. I'm like, hey, I think I knew you. Yeah, you were my my high school state final or whatever, which is just it's really cool. <laughs> now be honest, be honest. It's a little weird in like uh put you into that uh that that category of uh people when you were younger that said, I remember when you were this tall. <laughs> we become them. <laughs> you have become them. You know, yeah, it definitely makes me feel old when I'm like, oh God, you like your mom used to have to sign your liability waiver and now you're like whatever, married. <laughs> Why are you so grown? Stop. Exactly. <laughs> No, no, that's wild. But that's that is it's really awesome to be able to know. And it gives you a chance to be able to see these personality rhythms that come because I'm sure that you start to see a repeat after a little bit. Like it's just like, okay, I know that guy. I've seen that girl. I, I know who, what to expect from them in their way of playing. You might not have ever met them, but you just understand what you start to see as as a ref. So it becomes less surprising. Yeah, with the WPL, you see that a lot, too, because there's only eight or ten teams, and you're refereeing a lot of times if they're trying to conserve money on the refs. Right. You're going to referee either the East or the West Coast. And then you end up seeing so many of the teams so many times, and you get to finals, and it's like, oh, I've seen this player do right. this. Oh, this player is <laughs> really good at this. Oh, better watch out for her. She's going to step step that other person, and it's going to be over. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually becomes cool because – 
even though I'm not rooting for anyone because I'm you, unbiased. You, can. you have to be impartial. Right. Yeah, but you get to know the players and it's still fun. Like you can have an interaction with them. And we as a team, like um, with the WPL, we had a team of referees who were always the same refs doing the WPL matches. So last year when we went to WPL finals, we all got to be together. And instead of just interacting on Zoom calls, now we were in person and we got to um, work as a team of three. So two assistant referees running touch and then this referee in the center and work that way for the entire weekend. So now the players were seeing all the referees who they've seen all season and got to know each of us. Right. And then we get to see all the players that we've seen all season. So it was a really cool event where it became much more of a community where everyone was involved, players, coaches, referees, cameramen, whoever. Everybody had been part of this for the whole 10-week season. Oh, Do you find that that's far more interesting to you? Do you find that experience to be more uh, fulfilling? Or do you like the the changing environment uh, based off of, you know, the levels that you're going to be playing because in, in both, obviously you can find pleasure in it, but one forces you to kind of always have to be aware of what you're doing. The other one gives you a chance to just focus on your work and just being able to stay, I guess, the path for you, which, which one, I mean, I guess, like I said, feels more fulfilling in that way. I think it's nice to have a beginning, middle, and end of a season. And with yeah. WPL or with D1A or a, a single competition where you have a group of referees together, I think that's really neat. And getting that cohesive unit that gets to work together is something that's pretty unique. Right. But besides that, I think it is nice to have those games on the outside too. If there's a game that I doesn't have as much clout maybe it's a friendly match maybe it's a preseason or an exhibition or something then i can work on stuff with my refereeing or how i interact with the players and try something slightly new and different and see if that works for me where mm -hmm. i don't really want to have that kind of uh guessing or trial and error um situation at a wpl match where it's a league match and it matters for standings or um whatever for their season so if I have some of those games, like um, in the middle of the season last year, I had um, a D1A local kind of more friendly match. It didn't really matter. And that to me was really neat because I could go and try some different, um, I guess, techniques for how I was thinking about the game. And if I made a mistake, it wasn't going to affect anyone's season. Right. And and then, of course, you know, I go and make a mistake. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then it affected the whole season, you know? And then have to send an apology to to say, hey, I was wrong about this. But that that aside, it's it's um, I think both are important and there's value right. in both. But it's it is obviously it's like being in a developmental season, like in the spring or I'm, I'm not sure what what it's like in Louisiana. But at least up here, like we have our fall season as our competitive season and right. then the spring is kind of more developmental games so it's kind of having both of those as a referee where in the fall when we're focused or whenever wpl season is maybe we'll have some in the spring yeah <laughs> fingers crossed. wait if that happens 
Hold on. I'm going to let you finish your point because I wanted to ask you about this MLR and then this Australia, uh, Japan thing. Like finish okay. your, your point that you were going to go. Um, so if we, if we have the ability to do a full season where we can work on a specific three things that we want to improve as a referee, then, then you can actually see kind of how your work-ons are getting into a pro- progression of you becoming better. And that's always a good feeling. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good for everyone to see that, how the team is improving as a whole. So if the match officials are improving, that's only going to improve the game. And that's so important for rugby in the U.S. because we have so many incredibly athletic players who just need referees who can keep up with the game. And even in, 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 in being able to just make sure that they also are getting within closer and closer nuance, which I guess also helps with the refereeing as well, too. You know, and I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, we do our stuff in the spring because we're, we're, we're not. It's just not worth it to compete against football. It's just, it's just not worth it to compete against football here. You got a <laughs> spring competition. That makes so, sense. <laughs> but you know, it, it does kind of come back to the point. If you guys have, uh, you know, this earlier this season, you had just been appointed as an MLR referee, and uh, and as obviously kind of got dashed a little bit because of some crazy virus or something just happening. I don't know. I don't know. I hear rumors, (laughs) but you know, for you, uh, having now done, you've gone on one side and, and worked on big high level world rugby, uh, and what we'll basically call, uh, rugby women's rugby world cup qualifier matches with Australia, Japan, and now you have this all you had this opportunity with MLR. What are you now seeing in terms of your growth progress? Because it, it feels like you are being able to enter into these these fields a little bit more and you're finding yourself rising in these ranks to use a colloquialism. Uh, how does it how does it feel to start to be able to now find yourself traversing this 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 lane a little bit heavier? Um well it's been a while coming obviously i've been refereeing for nine years so um you just kind of have to take the opportunities as they come and think if they're going to assign you to a match that they think that you're ready for it and you need to try and believe that too um and just the thing that everyone says is it's just a game and it's just another game how many games have you done um kind of to try and not psych themselves out But the thing is that when you're on TV, it's not really just another game. It actually is something that matters to a lot of people. Like if you're refereeing an international, these are players who have put their heart and soul into getting onto this team and now practicing with the team and now competing with the team. And there are coaches whose livelihoods depend on your decisions. And I think trying to keep that in perspective so without making uh, putting too much of a burden on yourself, you have to remember like, for me, I've been trained for nine years to do this and I focus on it. I study to be a good referee and I practice outside, whether it's by myself or going to training sessions with local teams or watching uh, professional rugby or international rugby um, myself and then pausing the game to guess what's going to happen or whatever kinds of things you can do to to train yourself. Um, And then just taking each assignment you know, as they come. So this, you know, each, each assignment could be the last one that you get depending on a number of factors that may not even be up to you. So you just want to make the most of each opportunity. 
Yo, I, I think that's that's real. And and clearly you've been able to to take advantage of that and continue to build on. Obviously, you've been putting in the work. I you know, it, it was something again, kind of referring back to Farah that we talked, um, that it was there's never anything that you're actually ready for. It's just simply kind of having the tools prepared. So it's not like, you know, there was by the time you got to your first, you know, Australia Japan game for that that uh you know, women's rugby world cup qualifier. It wasn't like you had a bunch of them behind you and you're like, all right, I'm ready for it. But you know, it's kind of like, but you already had tools. Now it's just, can you focus them in? And for you, do you find like you, your preparation process has become even more nuanced now as you get to these higher and higher levels because of the attributes that you, you talked about, how much meaningfulness does these games have, how much significance it has even on your continuance in uh, this this career? Yeah, so I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned from doing my first test match was I need to think about what the game is going to be like before the game starts. So as I was uh, standing in the stadium that was packed to the brim in Newcastle, um, Australia, um, basically they had canceled all the rugby on the weekend. So... Mm-hmm. Um, there was no local rugby, so everyone would come to the women's test match because they wanted to make it just such a, a big event. Right. So the stadium was packed to the brim, including people standing like all around the periphery of the stadium and the grass. Like kids were playing like further out onto on another field, and it was just like a whole family environment where it was totally like unreal. Like I'd never been to a stadium that felt like <laughs> that where I was part of the game. Right. This is where I go back to that. You can that energy when you feel it like you're the air is literally vibrating as you're going through. So I could feel that an hour before the game as I was warming up on the field. And then when I got out there for the anthems, when everyone was there and it was lined up and they had um, two people singing the national anthem. So it was actually live music, which feels to me a little bit more intense anyway. Um, I just looked up into the stands and I was like, wow, this is a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? Like, we will look at, like, a football game, whether college or uh, uh, NFL, and we'll be able to, they'll say, there are 60,000 people in there. And sometimes you'll just be like, oh, only 60,000? Like, LSU Stadium holds 110,000. I'll be like, we got 110,000. But whenever you're down on the field and you're seeing and feeling, not even up to 50, like 40,000 people, you know, 30. You know, that's just, it's a, you're like, yo, this is a whole town that's inside here watching us. <laughs> yeah. So this stadium was actually only like a 4,000 person stadium and they have like <laughs> over 4,000 people there. But considering, I mean, they're like on top of you basically yeah. with those small stadiums. And it was just to think I'm an American coming into Australia to referee yeah. a, a team of incredibly athletic people and just thinking about how like i'm coming in here and going to now dictate how this game goes and i could royally screw it up potentially right which i didn't but of course the first call i made was like <laughs> i don't even know why i blew the whistle or how i blew the whistle it's a, um, it's a mistake one that you have to get early so that the rest yeah. of it is like all right well i already messed up okay we're free over here <laughs> And I didn't do terribly in the whole game, but it was just like that first initial start of the match. I was so nervous and I wasn't 
honestly, I wasn't prepared for that particular moment and that feeling. Right. Um, but moving forward from that, now that I've had that experience, that's something that I'm definitely going to try to prepare for in general. So like when I AR'd my first MLR match, I thought about how that would feel and how the, there's going to be people watching and it's going to be on TV and it's it's such a big event. But I didn't feel that same type of nervousness. And that's because I when I AR'd in um, Rooney in New York, the way the field is, the fans would be so far away and it was March, so it was cold and there was there weren't very many people there. So it didn't have that same feel like you were saying, that stadium feel where there's just an energy that it, it's like palpable. Right. So that no. to me, thinking this is gonna this is how it's gonna be, and then showing up and it not being like that actually is quite a bit of relief and, and takes a little bit of the pressure off so you can just focus on your responsibilities on the day and help the players have the best game. Right. But it keeps that it keeps that process go, always going, so that when that moment does come back again, at least you're used to it. You already have something ready, and then it's just okay. Now we're just just flipping over and just getting into the work, as opposed to okay, I'm still feeling it. All right, the nervousness is gonna be gone. Nope, still not gone. <laughs> <All> right? Yeah. <laughs> do this. All right. I hope they don't notice my legs shaking through this entire game. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely understand. Um, kind of last question I have for you, and I'm about to put the uh, the weight of issues onto your shoulder because, uh, you know, this is what we got to do. All right. It's 2020. Just get it done. Uh, but, you know, as as you continue to traverse this plane um, as a ref and expect particularly as a women's ref and you're seeing obviously World Rugby wanted to put more and more effort into it. Um, what do you feel is. What do you feel needs to be understood as you're continuing this process so that there's other uh, women referees starting to come in more and more? Because we're even starting to see them enter into the men's game, too, which is where traditionalists completely lose their mind. (laughs) But, like, you now have this opportunity. But what would you tell this next generation coming up behind you to prevent them from the initial – uncertainty of what's about to come of uncertainty of being willing to enter into what could be about to come or not come. So for young referees, I think the important thing is just to get out there and try it and then see if you enjoy it. And of course there's going to be games where you didn't enjoy it or where something happens that makes you question whether or not you want to continue doing it. And I think that happens in everyone's career no matter what you're doing and whether you're a coach, if you have a bad season or a player and you have an injury or you don't get to play a lot or whatever the situation may be, where you have to decide, does this, do the benefits outweigh the, the detriments to whatever this um, situation is? And I think as long as you continue to pursue uh, improving and continue to pursue um, just trying to be the best that you can be, then there's a lot of opportunity ahead. And I think um, I need to say that there are now lots of female referees refereeing the men's game at the top level. So um, like Amy Parrott just refereed um, in Australia, Super Rugby. Um, Sarah Cox is refereeing in the Premiership. Um, Joy Neville did TMO for um, one of the um, competitions in Ireland. Um, 
and she's the first female to ever do that position. Mm-hmm. So, and then obviously in the US, we had Leah Barrar doing pro rugby years ago. Um, so there are plenty of female referees who are more than competent and more than able to be in this position. So I think for the players, for future referees, I think we just have to trust that if you put the work in, you're going to get a good referee and that referee is going to have the tools, as you said earlier, (laughs) to do the job that they need to do. And hopefully that they can perform on that day, just like a player would need to perform on the day too. Right. Oh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) I feel like that was mic drop moment right there. (laughs) No. Oh, Amelia, thank you so much. Uh, Like I said, I really, I really love this. This was exactly what I was hoping to get and then some. So I really appreciate it. And look, is there a way for people to, uh, if they have questions to to ask or uh, get more information, even if it's from an academic level? Uh, Sure. So you can Google me if you'd like. Amelia Luciano, I'm pretty much the only one that comes up. Um, Or if you want, you can find me um, on Twitter. Also, Amelia underscore Luciano. Um, And yeah, you could contact me there. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yo, that was that was in depth. Like, I have a whole new appreciation for refing after this is done. Like, one, like I just, ah, oh, that was great. Amelia, thank you so much for coming through. Really appreciate it. And, guys, definitely got other podcasts. Just because this is season two does not mean you shouldn't go back and check it out. We got some great people on. Blaine Scully, Phil Thiel. We got Charity Williams. We got uh, Kimani Davis. We've got uh, Jackie Finlan. We've got uh, Nicholas Walcott. We got Dave Rhyme. We got uh, the HBCU guys uh, uh, from Prairie View AM. Like, we got Kyle and Tiana Grammy. Like, we got some great guests. You definitely want to check it out. And uh, always appreciate everything that you guys are doing. Uh, please, again, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the, don't forget to like the IG page, Grow Rugby Podcast, on uh, Instagram. Uh, you can catch the videos of this on our YouTube page, Gift Time Rugby Network, youtube.com slash Gift Time Rugby Network. And lastly, but not leastly, I hope you guys are happy. I hope you guys are healthy. And I hope you know that you are highly favored. I will see you and talk to you next time. Cheers.